All right, hey everybody, we're in the green room. We're talking about uh, you know Novak and the Australian Open. Uh, no, just kidding. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> we're here with Disrupt TV, and uh, welcome. We're going to be talking about a lot of interesting shows, and we're going to introduce our guests in the green room before we start. Uh, we'll start with Marsha. We'll go to um, Paul, and we'll go to uh, Grant and Darren. So um, I'm just asking, like, where, where are you calling in from, dialing in from, and of course, uh, what are we talking about? So, so Marsha, um, where are you calling in from? What are we talking about today? I'm calling in from Los Angeles, and I'm just here because I think it's nice that you have a woman's opinion on all the topics that you talk about, because the destruction is real. And from what I hear from my readers and my books, they need help. They need to be able to connect. With Very cool. Great to have you here. Um, we'll go to uh, Paul. Where are you dialing in from, and what are you talking about? Hi, Ray. Hi, Vala. Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm in the... Uh... Upper West Side of Manhattan. Um, you know the universities are still pretty uh, kind of remote these days, so I'm working out of uh, Manhattan, and uh, I'll be back talking about the uh, the global economy and well the U.S. economy in particular, and I guess you know how COVID is uh, figuring into all of that. This is certainly very interesting times for an economist. Yeah, no, you can see some interesting modeling and data going forward. And Grant and Darren, welcome to the show. Where are you guys both down in from? Thanks, guys. Yeah, hi, Grant Halloran here. I'm uh, presently up in Sonoma in California, just in the North Bay there. And uh, we're going to be talking about um, back office automation and analytics and AI and how companies can uh, speed up their, their decision making through all of that. Yeah, and I'm, I'm Darren Herfinan joining Grant today and calling in from uh, Dallas, Texas. Sunny Dallas, Texas. <laughs> Rub that in. It's freezing here in the, in New York. <laughs> All right. Well, cool. Well, we'll start the show. Al, please do the honors, and uh, we'll kick this thing off. All right. Three, two, one. Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining us on Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar. I'm the Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Send Ray, myself, our distinguished guests, your questions live using hashtag Disrupt TV. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host, Ray Wong. He's the CEO and founder of Constellation Research. He is the best-selling author of Everybody Wants to Rule the World, Surviving and Thriving in the World of Digital Giants. Ray is also a regular television business and technology contributor on Yahoo Finance, Fox Business, CNBC, Wall Street Journal, and Cheddar. He's a sought-after keynote speaker, and in my humble opinion, one of the top futures to follow on Twitter at RWANG0. Welcome, Ray Wong, to Disrupt TV. Hey, thanks a lot. I'm here with Vala Afshar, and he's known the chief digital evangelist for Salesforce. He's also the author of The Pursuit of Social Business Excellence. I carry that with me normally, but it's not with me here today. Executives around the world pay attention to every one of his inspirational and insightful tweets. When he's not keynoting or leading events at Salesforce, you can find him speaking on business TV outlets such as Bloomberg and posting insightful analyses at ZDNet. But it's never about us. It's about you. It's about our guests. And more importantly, we always have very interesting people. Who do we have to kick off today, Vala? Yeah, we're very fortunate because we have two guests to uh, introduce in our first segment. So please bear with me. We have Grant Halloran, Chief Executive Officer of Planful. Planful is a pioneer of end-to-end -end financial close consolidation and FP&A cloud software. Grant has over 20 years of senior leadership experience in enterprise software, a career to date marked by positions where he drove high growth global expansions. Prior to Planful, uh, before July of 2019, Grant was the EVP and Chief Commercial Officer at OmniSci, a venture-backed big data analytics company where he, was, he oversaw sales, marketing, alliance, customer success. During his tenure at OmniSci, the company tripled in revenue and employees, so incredible success. Before OmniSci, he served as an executive team at Anaplan, as well as in four following in Ford's acquisition of Orbis, where Grant was CEO and co-founder. You can follow him at Grant Halloran, G-R-A-N-T-H-A-L-L-O-R-A-N. Welcome back, Grant, to Disrupt TV. Thanks, Bella. Thanks, Ray. And with Grant, we have Darren Heffernen, uh, president at Printech. Trinktech simplifies and accelerates key processes in the financial close to financial transformation projects. Darren joined Trinktech in 2001 and has had a number of strategic and corporate development roles during his tenure, including being CFO for seven years. Darren has spent over 25 years in finance and operation roles, uh, driving innovation with companies such as GE, Paramount Universal Studios, IAWS, and Anglo-American. Prior to Trinktech, Darren served as European Reporting and Treasury Manager at GE Money for its equipment finance businesses. 
Darren is fellow associate and chartered certified accountant and has previously sat in Financial Executive International's FEI Committee and Finance and IT. You can follow his company on Twitter at Trintec, T-R-I-N-T-C-I-N-C. Welcome, Darren, to Disrupt TV. Thanks, Father. Thank you, Ray. Hey, before we kick this off, right, uh, what's up with this, uh, you know, 49ers Cowboy game at uh, AT&T Park? Uh, who are you guys rooting for? <laughs> hey, right away, put well, our Yeah, yeah, we've got it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the guess, one is to... calling in from Dallas. One is calling from California. I don't know. Yeah. That's what I'm kind of curious. <laughs> well, who, who would have thought that you'd talk about a, an NFL game with an Aussie and an Irishman, right? But, uh, <laughs> yeah. so I, I, I've, I've lived out here 11 years, and I've become a massive Niners fan. So I'm oh. for, the, for the Niners, and I think they're going to get up over the Cowboys. Yeah, uh, I think mm. you're uh, smoking some stuff that you probably need to get off I think I'm with Darren. I think I'm with Darren. in Dallas since 2004, and even the kids today, my kids in school today, no uniforms, wear your cowboy gear into school. So <laughs> if, our, if our offense kicks off like it, it can do, uh, it could be a pretty tough day for Grant. I love this. <laughs> well, let's move on. Tech <laughs> recently formed a technology partnership, not a sports one. <laughs> Why you guys started this partnership, and more importantly, what makes this tech partnership successful in the market? I mean, you guys are targeting you. I mean, you're bringing together two very important uh, skill sets and capabilities, um, and really, what what got this to kick off? So, yeah. Uh, well, I'll go, I'll go first and just explain the partnership really quickly. And Darren, if you want to talk about. Sure. why we think this is a great partnership between the companies. But, you know, we, we, we there's a mega process in finance and accounting, right? You know, if you think about a business, you start the year, you're planning all of the different dimensions of your business. We do all of that. Um, then you go into execution and you need to account for all of that. And then each month you're going to go through this very convoluted process of consolidating your books and closing the books and going through all your reconciliations. Mm -hmm. And that's where the Trintech team really shines, right? That's the, the technology that they're the best at. Um, and then once you come out of that part of the process, you need to go into analysis and, you know, your, how did the business perform and what parts are doing well and all the variants and then reforecast. And you go through the whole Thing over and over and over. And companies are trying to get to this place where they can just do continuous planning and accounting and, and speed those processes up. So it's extremely complimentary for us, for our clients that are mostly the FP&A side. We uh, were able to, to compress the, the close cycle uh, using the Trintech uh, Adra technology. And basically what that means is they've got more time to do the analysis, more time to spend on the high value work and it's really just about automating that. And we're on a, we're on a fantastic journey with the Trintech team, um, you know, doing that, that combination. Yeah, and I, and I would completely concur with what Grant said. Like the key thing for me being a former CFO is that when my job, my job ultimately at the end of the day was to make sure I produce accurate and timely P&L account and balance sheet. It's got a lot of other things to do as well, but that's that's the that's the one that I'll either get fired for if I get wrong, or uh, <laughs> you know I'll be a hero if I get right. And the great thing for me is that bringing the synergies between the two sides, like FP&A and finance and accounting, getting those two closer together enables me as the CFO of the business to be able to um, do do my job quicker, better, more efficient, more effective, um, and my staff actually having a better time. Um, which we, which I know we'll talk about, but it's a key thing of making sure our staff are the ones that are the most important people in any technology business. That's a that's a great that's a great uh, point. Um, emphasis on staff. I I just recently hosted a CIO roundtable and mm -hmm. asked these incredible CIOs across multiple industries, multiple um, geographies, um, their concerns, uh, pressures, uh, issues they're facing, and um, uh, talent. Retention was top of mind. A lot of IT folks are uh, really struggling to recruit and retain talent. Uh, uh, security and scale in this more decentralized, digital-first model um, as work from anywhere, service delivery everywhere is, is really the, what they've faced in the last 22 months. When you're dealing with CFOs or line of business leaders who are responsible for you know, FP&A, what are some of the issues, Darren, that finance, finance teams are, are facing today? I think that, you know, the biggest one for me is is the, the talent, right? Like attracting the right amount of talent and keeping the right amount of talent. And that's been 
exasperated by a number of factors like in the last number of years, right? Like we've all heard the great resignation is something that's out there that, you know, at the start of that, I actually thought there was a bit of a myth, but like the more you talk to, you know, my fellow colleagues, I, I realized and our own company, it's not. People have, people have taken a decision to completely reevaluate their lives and their lifestyles and make decisions on the back of that. And if they were anyway unhappy, they've, they're, they're making decisions, right? And I think it's also influenced by a couple of other factors. One is the amount of people that have retired during the last two years has been at an, un, uh, an unknown previous history. Just didn't happen at that rate before. Again, people are evaluating what they're doing. And then, you know, I think also uh, we always supplemented our workforce, particularly in the U.S., with, with immigration. We've got a policy now where we just we don't bring in the same amount of talent. We don't issue the same amount of H-1B visas and L-1s and J-1s and things like that. So not having that population of talent coming in at the same pace that it's come in for, you know, decades and generations is, is just hurting us, right? So. Mm-hmm. It's just incumbent on, on all of us to make sure that when we've got staff, we have to provide an environment to make sure we can keep them. And that's nowhere as important as uh, in the finance finance space. Yeah, and Grant, in the finance space, when you have the pressure of a deadline, a closing or a consolidation, not having the proper world-class tools, I suspect, can, can, can frustrate finance prof- prof- professionals. So if they're not working with Trintech technology or Planful, you know, they may move to a company that has better tool set in order to meet these incredible pressure and deadline that they have. Do you believe that the right toolbox also contributes to retaining top talent? Yeah, absolutely. They are leaving because of that, because, you know, they might join a company and, and not necessarily, you know, do a lot of due diligence on the technologies that the company is using. But once they're in there, if they're stuck in spreadsheets and yeah. manual ways of doing things and then being asked to do, you know, 70 hours a week, yeah. which for a lot of you think about back office people, finance, accountants, legal oh, yeah. folks, this is the world that they've had to live in for generations. They're being asked to do that. Um, they're pretty quickly going to reevaluate uh, because, you know, we've had an order of magnitude uh, change here in terms of mobility, right? We, yeah. This country, especially here in the U.S., was all, always a quite mobile uh, society in the sense that people were, were, were willing to up and leave and move around. They go to different colleges in different parts of the country. So they had a culture of mobility. But now I don't even need to leave the location that I'm in to work for another company anywhere. So it's a hundred, you know, maybe 10x, 100x more mobile. I can go and get a job anywhere else. So, you know, I always encourage my team here at Planful and, and any other execs I talk to to just think about, like, if you're not having a healthy paranoia about this stuff, you're going you're gonna to be a victim of this great resignation and not a victor. And conversely, if you're really thinking about technology automation, how do I help this always on generation of employees that we have to have the best tools, fingertip access from anywhere to, to the right information, then you can be an absolute victor in all of this. Yeah. Well, those are great points, right? I mean, as we go from great resignation to the great refactoring, one of the things is really to get analytics, automation, and AI together uh, and putting that together. And and so when you talk about a holistic, modernized close and planning process, right? I mean, that's important, right? That may be the individual that was doing manual tasks and going nuts, right? Um, you know, or the amount of errors in, in human-led kind of entry, right? I mean, all those things get into play. So, so when you think about this, right? You know, how critical is it? Are, are people looking at this? Is it being prioritized to say, I need modernized closed and planning processes? Mm-hmm. Yeah, from my my perspective, just to answer quickly here, and I'll pass to you, Darren. But um, it's it's taken off in a dramatic way um, in the last year. Um, you know, I think people kind of were bunkered down a little bit in twenty twenty. Um, twenty nineteen was 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 a decent year, but um, twenty one was huge for us. I mean, our company just alone. I know a lot of other businesses in this space were similar. We added twice as many customers to our community last year compared to 2020 and 2019. So, you know, so really significant um, demand got created where there was a realization of this, right? Um, The the things that we just talked about. And I think that, you know, this is this is the time for CFOs. You know, we're entering a golden age, if you like, of CFO tech modernization 
um, bringing this stuff together. The same thing happened 15 years ago in marketing when the iPhone came out. And all of a sudden we had this, you know, always on generation, right? And yeah, app, yeah. the whole ecosystem, you know, the world we live in today, we think it's been here forever. It's only 15 years old, but it's completely transformed the marketing and sales functions, right, in, in companies. That's changed the type of CMO that you have. They used to be creative people. Now they're, they're super technologists, really. And I think that's where CFO is going. You know, we've, we've seen that come through. Um, they're, they're being mandated to drive smarter, faster, more financially intelligent decisions across the whole company. And you do that through big data, through the cloud, through technology, right? Exponential um, growth that you can have in the cloud. So data, you know, the amount of data you can use no longer uh, is an impediment to you. You can, you can harvest as much as you want and you can automate using the software uh, tools that we already have between us and also, in the, you know, it's coming through now and into the future. A lot of it is AI. So you talk about automation, analytics, AI. That's a real world we're living in today, right? Yeah, it's, it's amazing. You remind us that, yeah, this guy was introduced January 2007, 15 years ago, exactly to, to the month. And it's now really essentially your remote control for life and business. I do almost 100% of my work, um, or I can do 100% of my work on my mobile devices at Salesforce. Um, uh, Darren, uh, you know, uh, so Gartner annually uh, publishes their 10 strategic initiatives and for 2022 and beyond hyper automation was one of their big categories that Gartner emphasized. And in that uh, forecast, they said by 2024, 30% of organizations will implement and successfully utilize AI within their financial management solutions. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, surprising, we're looking at two years ahead and still only 30%. So mm -hmm. we're only at the beginning of this. So yeah. can you tell us about what does the future of finance look like with analytics, automation, and AI? And are you also surprised that projecting two years ahead, two out of three businesses are still lacking these capabilities in terms of AI and automation and analytics when it comes to financial planning and execution? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not surprised, Vala. Like that's what our kind of, uh, our data has told us this for probably the last 10 years, right? Like, and we, it was, it was always, I think, like really on a bit of a slow burner of adoption of automation. It's not that the tools were not out there. They were out there. It's just that the wider audience, whether it was in finance or to be honest, other, other facets of life, it just wasn't as well known. I think what the, you know, what the onset of the pandemic went like in a finance world, you, if you're a mid-market company, for example, you might have had one office or two offices. Well, suddenly you went to having 10 or 15 offices of you, 10 or 15 staff in your finance team, right? But you still have to do the same job and you went to a very inefficient, unproductive system of text, texting, emails, things like that, versus adopting technology to help you kind of run through that process and be able to do your budgeting, your forecasting, your close automation tasks, uh, your reconciliations, your compliance work, all of those things that have to be done no matter what's going on in the world, right, in, in the finance team. So I'm not surprised. I agree with Grant. Like the the actual um, take-up of, of solutions like ours over the last two years has been un unbelievable. It's been incredible. Yeah. But it's still just in its infancy. Um, and the biggest thing I could say like about our business, and I'm sure Grant would agree, our biggest competitor when we're looking at deals is, is not – another company it's actually excel it's the use of excel <laughs> and even when you you go back to the yeah. thought process of um of using um staff like the, the the education or the the um new new hires coming in from college they don't even know how to use excel they're not taught how to use these things right so what you oh, got to is, is talk <laughs> to people even microsoft will tell you Excel is not a system of control, right? It's right. it's great for the process. It's ancillary to the process, great tool, but it's not there in, in the adoption of AI and automation and, and things of that nature. So I 100% agree. We are literally, like our, one of our investors will talk about the um, fourth industrial revolution, and that's when we're in the middle of now. Like yeah. if you t if we think technology is is that used at a high level today, it's only, a, it's only in its infancy of what right. the world is going to look like in 
what what did we say 15 years from now? I'd love love to have this conversation about <laughs> what what is the equivalent I, I, of the yeah. iPhone, right? Yeah, yeah. I suspect I'll be wearing this, meaning I'm not gonna I hold mean, something. You probably it in your brain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. But well, I, Elon I is working on Neuralink to make sure that yeah, we can have small graceful implants. I'll, I'll just I'll just tell you really quickly. I, I I'm actually a little more bullish than 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 Darren and, and Gartner on this because you know, I just don't think a lot of people even realize they're using AI, right? You know, yeah, when, yeah. You're in, when you're in your sure. Gmail and it's suggesting the, the, the next sentences. You know, yeah. sentences and this thing, you know, it's all AI. So, you know, we we have customers in the Planful system that, you know, we're populating numbers for them. We're, we're making yeah. predictions. We're detecting yeah. signals. They don't know it's AI. They yeah. just think it's cool. But it's yeah. all AI that's behind it, right? So I actually yeah. think yeah. that, you know, I, at, at least a third of our customers will adopt that uh, yeah, that improvement to our technology this I year. So I think we can get there faster, but we're, we're a little more advanced than some of our competitors. At my, at my company, at my company, we're making a hundred over 130 billion ML predictions every 24 hours. Yeah. Yeah. That number was single digits uh, a year and a half ago. Yeah. So an order of magnitude increase in predictions. And you're right, whether you're sales, service, commerce, the end user has advice in terms of what to do. They don't necessarily care that there's, you know, artificial intelligence and machine learning are scary words for CFOs. So we yeah, need it's, a, it's incumbent upon yeah. us technologists to make it easy and comfortable. For people. And Vala, and Vala, just on your point, like if you if that doesn't happen at an expedited rate going forward, our talent gap is going to get way worse. And for sure. Never forget, like I'm sure it's the same in Salesforce. Talent is what the technology company is, right? Yeah. So if we're not conscious of that as technologists, or our audience are not, we're we're in a bit of trouble. I just yeah, wish we're you two could agree on football. Humanity and uh, <laughs> sorry, we're gonna we're, we're gonna be replaced too. Uh, we're gonna end the world on men and humanity. But hey, thanks a lot. We're here with Grant Holleran, CEO of Planful, and Darren Heffern, president of Mid Market at Trintech. So thanks for being here on the show. You can follow Grant at Grant Holleran, uh, and of course you can follow Trintech at Trintech. Trintech Inc. There it is. Trintech Inc. So, hey, thanks for being on the show. Happy Friday. So, go nice Cowboys. Niners. Anyways, we've never had that discussion, have we, Bob? No, no. I try to avoid sports, religion, politics on the show. So, I can't believe you brought it up. Okay. Uh, I know. I know. I, I opened the can of worms. Uh, but who do we have next? We're going to avoid all those things with Paul. What a privilege for us uh, yeah, to have uh, Paul Sheard. Uh, a noted economist, research fellow at Harvard Kennedy School as our next guest. Paul attends and speaks regularly at conferences around the world, and his views on the global economy and economic policy are frequently featured in international press and media. Previously, Paul was vice chairman of S&P Global and uh, uh, after being executive vice president and chief economist. Paul's a member of the World Economic Forum's Global Future Council on the new agenda for fiscal and monetary policy and was a member of the World Economic Forum's Global Future Council on the new economic agenda of its Global Agenda Council on the International Monetary System. Paul twice served uh, on committee of the Japanese government's Economic Deliberation Council and was a uh, member of the oversight board of the Japanese government's Research Institute of Economy, Trade and Industry. Paul is an award-winning author or editor on several books and numerous uh, academic articles on industrial organization and corporate governance. Welcome back, Paul, to the Shrub TV. Thank you, Vala. Thank you, Ray. Great to be here. Great to have you, sir. We're always excited to have you here. And of course, I mean, we're in the middle of some very interesting economic conversations. And who else better to kick this off? So let's start with the big thing, the big question. What is going on with inflation? 7.1% right now. Are we going to end up in the inflation in the 70s? Um, is it going to be just like the you know late, you know, late 70s, early 80s all over again? Or is this different? And if it is, why is that the case? Thanks, Ray. Uh, yes, uh, the big I inflation is the topic of the day. Uh, I don't think we're heading into 70s style uh, stagflation uh, because stagflation, if you remember, was very high inflation coupled with very high unemployment. What we've got this time is actually a very tight labor market. Uh, the unemployment rate has dipped down to have a three handle again, 3.9% for December. Uh, the, the recent like low, historic low before COVID was 3.5. Uh, but there are lots of signals in the labor market that, that it's quite tight. Um, and you know, I, I learned a new phrase today. Thank you. Great resignation. Uh, we're certainly seeing some of that in the macro data. Um, but inflation is, is, is very high. We just had a print this week uh, for the CPI 
as you mentioned, around about 7% year on year, and it keeps going up. And what was a little bit disconcerting to the people who trawl through these numbers was that the month-on-month number also went up. The rate of increase is declining, Mm -hmm. but it was still a very healthy half a percent increase just in one month. this is all a big, a, a big sort of puzzle in many ways, um, and kind of surprise if we really step back and think about the last two years, because prior to COVID, uh, economists were sort of pu- scratching their heads, and central bankers were sort of worried about inflation being too low. That had been the story of the past decade, and of course in Japan, where I spent a lot of time uh, the last you know 25, 30 years. Um, but and then we got hit the, the the US economy and the global economy in the first half of 2020 2020 got hit with the biggest negative economic shock in the history of the world i mean we haven't seen us gdp fall 10% just in mm. uh, two quarters which is what happened and you know then what happens then we get this burst of inflation so that's not what you expect when you have low inflation and then you have a big shock to the economy unemployment went up in just two months from 3.5 percent to 14.7 percent unprecedented and here we are two years later scratching our heads worrying about high inflation I can talk a little bit about what's driving that, but let me pause for breath because I know you guys like. Well, no, no, no. While you're doing that, real quick, is this the monetary garden of Eden? Are we getting there? I'm pulling it out. I, here. Well, I'm, Ray, uh, you're my hero. I, I'm glad someone <laughs> noticed. Uh, I, I, yeah, I talked about the monetary garden of Eden, which is this more kind of primitive state in which monet- the distinction between monetary and fiscal policy kind of go away and we get a kind of a merging of the two. And, you know, we have seen quite a bit of that, um, you know, particularly in the 2020 with massive expenditures, big budget deficits from the federal government. And then the, the federal balance sheet, uh, sorry, the Federal Reserve, taking up its balance sheet from an already pretty big uh, four, uh, $4 trillion up to uh, more than $8 trillion, nearly $9 trillion. I'm, I think my, I'm just going to make sure my computer's getting energy here. Sorry, I'm <laughs> right. I don't want to get to the, the, the delete button here on my system. Um, but I think what you're getting at, uh, Ray, is, 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 is you're asking the question, okay, is the high inflation being driven and caused by all of this money printing. And, you know, somewhat surprisingly, I would say, no, not really. Don't put that at the top of the list uh, from reasons I can come back to. But I think it's more, uh, and a little bit of this, I think, came up in your first segment, is this COVID shock. You know, it was a huge economic shock, but it's also been a, a shock to people's brains, to their mindsets, to their lifestyles. It has kind of scrambled the supply side and the demand side of the economy. And so, you know, economists and you know, policymakers and central bankers kind of used to dealing with the economic cycle and sort of, you know, things move a little bit one way and they turn their dials to offset it. But the basic structure of the economy is kind of, you know, is, is pretty stable and steady. What this COVID uh, shock has done is really kind of upend people's demand that shifted dramatically. Uh, people, you know, working from home much more has has been one element of that. Not traveling as much, or if at all, another element. But also the supply side of the economy, where suddenly we're talking about supply chains and supply mm. side disruptions. So, I'd, very simply, I'd put it this way: if you think about supply and demand, so we get inflation when there's too much demand relative to supply. Well. Demand can move faster in both directions than supply can. It's the basic principle of economics. So imagine, go back to 2020, when demand suddenly collapsed 10% in two quarters. Well, the supply was still there. The demand just evaporated. But what's happened over the two years is that supply has started to shift as well. And now with the reopening of the economy and demand coming back quite strongly, demand is coming back quicker than supply if you're in the middle of a supply chain and one of those links you know the guy or gal doesn't turn up to work that day and there's a labor shortage then your whole supply chain breaks down so rather than the money printing per se ray which i would argue for many reasons was actually quite necessary um, i think it's more this covert uh, disruption that uh, that is causing the, the real headaches here what a great 
What a great explanation because um, I have a 19-year-old, 15-year-old, and an 11-year-old. And, you know, when they hear the news in the background, they hear inflation, you know, dad, mom, what's going on? What is this all about? Explain it to us. So I'm trying to explain to a high schooler. And, <laughs> and you know, I'm like, you know, commodity prices, or, you know, coffee prices have gone up 95% since last year. Uh, lumber, 91%. Heating oil, 61%. Natural gas, 54%. Gasoline, 52%. They notice the gas prices because I'm yep. my, my oldest drives and, and I, I make her put gas in the car so she can learn. And she's like, dad, it's up to $4. It was $2 a couple of, you know, a couple of years ago. So, so it, we, we talk about commodity prices and, 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 and the consumer price index, which you mentioned uh, year over year, CPI, Japan at 0.6 us at seven, as you mentioned, but you got countries like Poland at eight, six, Brazil at 10, one Turkey at 36%, Argentina, 51 and Venezuela at 1198 year over year increase in terms of CPI index. And, and your supply demand explanation. I didn't have your background to be able to explain to him. You know, when the demand is high, you can expect uh, this this increase. At the same time, so so really glad because I'm going to have them watch the show so they can better understand because their dad couldn't articulate um, um, like a world-renowned economist could, like yourself. Now, central banks have pumped up their balance sheets, and governments are racking up mountains of debt. What do you make of this? Uh, you know, are you worried about uh, the future uh, consequences of this? Yeah, thank, that, thanks, Vala, for that question. And, and thanks very much for acting on behalf of the economics profession and trying to teach some <laughs> economics to your kids. Um, just, just to put a bow on that point on inflation uh, and picking up on that first is that uh, one of the things that is going on here is that there is a, a really important economic distinction between relative price shifts in the economy. You know, there are shortages here, a lot of demand somewhere else, and prices will shift to attract the resources into those sectors. So economists you know, are all for relative price shifts because that's what makes the market economy tick. It sends the signals, it rewards people, it's great. Um, and those relative price shifts um, will sort of run their course. That's very different from inflation which is a continuous rise in the price level. And that's where Jay Powell, the Federal Reserve chairman, sort of got into a little bit of trouble because he said, and I had a little sympathy for this, I wrote many op-eds in a similar spirit myself, that the inflation that we're seeing in 21 and uh, uh, 21 and into 22 is really transient in the sense that it will work its way out eventually, it's not the stuff of the 1970s where inflation was a continuous process. Um, but, you know, if if your son is going to the petrol station, gas station, and, and, and finding his wallet uh, dried up as he fills his tank, uh, you know, he's not too worried about these finer distinctions. Now, to move on to your second, your, your substantive question about why aren't I as worried about the explosion of government debt and the explosion of central bank balance sheets. Um, and, you know, it, it comes down to the following. I don't want to go into a sort of an MMT rant. I, I, I you know, I'm very sympathetic to MMT. Yeah, um, but, but, you know, MMT, I think, does bring a lot of good insights because the basic insights of MMT are that, um, and, you know, other economics as well, they don't have a monopoly on this, but is that gov governments are not like households. The government is a sort of a sector of the economy where, Everybody joins together as the government. It's very different from, you know, the Ray Wang household and the Ray Wang credit card in the sense that government... Just platinum, by the way, and, and, <laughs> right. and, and black Amex. <laughs> right. So governments don't, you know, you hear a lot of people saying, oh, government debt is so high. This is going to be a burden on our grandchildren. How is the government ever going to have to repay all of this debt? Yeah. Well, the dirty little secret is governments don't need to repay their debt. Now, you might say, hold on a minute. Sure, of course they do. No, they don't. But what they may have to do in the future is uh, withdraw some of the purchasing power that is associated mm. with that debt. In other words, if you've got in your financial portfolio treasuries, which you, you, you will one way or another, even if you don't know it through pension funds and whatnot, um, that's an asset for you. So the people who hold the government debt are holding a financial asset mm. that they can convert into purchasing power. And what's happened in the last two years for, again, all the complicated reasons of COVID, the government had to inject a lot of money or purchasing power into the economy to keep individuals, households, workers and companies solvent 
and kind of almost in suspended animation for when the economy picked up. We didn't want to destroy that whole infrastructure and people's livelihoods and everything else. So in that sense, they pumped a lot of money into the economy, but I would argue in a very good cause. Now, the problem is, now coming to the inflation story, what if that, ex that, that purchasing power turns out to be too much? And frankly speaking, it appears to be we're in that territory at the moment. Well, then the government may have to start to withdraw some of that purchasing power. Now, it could do that by raising taxes, mm -hmm. uh, et cetera. So the government has the tools. So the big worry is not that the government debt is a burden per se, mm -hmm. but rather that it might lead to overheating of the economy. Well, if it does, you have the government with fiscal policy and we have the central bank, the Federal Reserve with monetary policy that does have the tools to combat that. Now, on the, on the central bank side, I mentioned the the Fed has got a balance sheet now of almost $9 trillion. Yeah. If there had never been QE going back to 2008, I would estimate the central bank, uh, the Fed's balance sheet would probably be around about, you know, call it $2 trillion. Now it's nearly $9 trillion. Wow. So they've, they've done this $7 trillion, wow. call it money printing QE. Why aren't I more worried about that? Because dollar for dollar, all that QE is, is the Fed taking a dollar of treasury securities, withdrawing it from circulation and printing a dollar of Fed money instead. In other words, from the macro economy as a whole, it is just a shift in the composition of mm. government debt. It's not increasing, and I'm using government debt like loosely here, yeah. the, the, the result of the money, yeah. the purchasing power that's created by running a budget deficit. So. That four trillion to nine trillion expansion of the Fed's balance sheet is much less scary than if you want to be scared about something, you know, all of that purchasing power being injected. But again, you know, governments can deal with that. And if the government doesn't deal with it, that's when the Fed has to step in and say, sorry, folks, I'm taking away the punch bowl. Now, do I think the Fed's doing enough at the moment? Frankly speaking, I don't. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that they really should be a little bit more aggressive with their uh, monetary tightening. But, you know, that's their job. I got a different job. Um, we'll see who's right. You expect that to happen in 2022? Well, yes, Vala. I mean, the Fed has already signaled that they are moving to tighten uh, monetary policy. I mean, it would be remarkable with inflation at these levels if they didn't do that. Um, and in particular, they are now winding back the expansion of their balance sheet. So by around about March, they will no longer be expanding their balance sheet. I would argue they're very late to kind of get to that point. But anyway, and then from March, they've signaled pretty strongly that they will start to raise interest rates. Remember, interest rates at the moment, the federal funds rate is in a range of zero to 25 basis points. Yeah, um, yeah they will gradually ratchet that up, you know, maybe three times this year, another few times next year. They'll head back for, if nothing else happens, um, as in, and they expect inflation to come down, you'd expect in two or three years' time the federal funds rate to be, you know, 2.5% or so. Um, so, yeah, a big shift is coming. The Fed has told us this um, in terms of the monetary policy stance, but the question would be we know that monetary policy works with long and varying lags. Yeah. So if the Fed spends the next two to three years gradually tightening monetary policy, the big question is will that be enough, quick enough, to really make sure this inflation genie doesn't get back out of the bottle. And I'm sitting here in a year's time or two years' time having to say, Mia culpa got that wrong, thought the Fed would control this, and guess what? They didn't. Wait, so we're going to, you see a 100 basis rate, rate uh, 100 basis increase uh, in terms of the rate uh, by the end of the year? Well, I think 75, three rate hikes is almost baked in. It'll yep. really depend on about see, five or four, right? So right, but you, at least two, probably three, maybe more. Bear in mind, um, Ray, that the Fed at the moment, uh, just go back a, a, a tick. If you go back to the end of 2020, this is a year into COVID almost. The Fed was all, at that point expecting inflation in 2021, which has just finished, to be um, 1.8 percent. Guess what they're saying in December? They think it's going to be 5.3%. Wow. So they got their inflation forecast. I mean, look, wow. we know why. Yeah. Everybody got this wrong. <laughs> but way off in 2021. Yeah. Now in 2022, yeah. they're forecasting 2.6%. Now, this is the PCE. It's a little bit different from the CPI, but it's 
yeah, yeah. it's similar, about half a percent less. Um, 2.6, inflation really going to come down to 2.6 this year? It might, but as we go through this year, if it turns out that the Fed is getting its inflation forecast wrong again, being too optimistic that it's going to come down, they'll just pile on more rate hikes. That's their job. Right. And PCE is goods and services for all households for those falling around. Yes, it's called personal consumption expenditures. Paul, Paul we need like an entire hour with you. <laughs> I have so many questions. We, I want to go deep into cryptocurrency and your points of view there, but you have to come back. I'll be delighted. I'll ask a cryptocurrency question and we'll, and we'll, we'll go get just, just, just your general thoughts mm. because again, we're running out of time, but you have to come back. I mean, we could right, literally right. talk well, for hours. Well, I guess on you know, I think in in my world of this macroeconomic world, I mean, it's not Silicon Valley; it's a long way from Silicon Valley, um, and you guys. But um, the central banks are all over this concept of central bank digital currencies. And speaking of the Fed, the Fed is going to be coming out with a paper in a, within a few weeks on it's sort of laying out its whole thinking about um, central bank digital currencies. What is that? It's essentially, you know, central banks already money, money is very much digital, obviously. Uh, central banks control the payment system. That, that's the central bank accounts, the bank's accounts at the central bank is where all the final settlements of money takes place in the economy. So they've really been sort of disrupted, to use your phrase on uh, Disrupt TV, by Bitcoin and blockchain and cryptocurrencies. And they're saying, wow, we better get on the case here. Yeah. And the Fed and, and pretty much every central bank in the world is looking at what do they need to do to get on this crypto bandwagon. It won't really be crypto. It will be what do we need to do to innovate and maintain our control over sovereign money but move with this uh, this crypto train. So, so if my, my high school children ask Uncle Paul for advice <laughs> in terms of buying Bitcoin... <laughs> I won't go there. I, I, do, I, do, I, I, yeah. I have a stock phrase as, a, as an economist. I do not give investment advice. Yes, yes. <laughs> we're we're Paul Sheard. I got to call you later. <laughs> call later on your own one-on-one. We're here with Paul Sheard, world award-winning world economic futurist. Uh, we'll call you that. Uh, research fellow at the Harvard Kennedy School. And more importantly, you can follow him on Twitter at Kennedy School. Uh, more importantly, thank you so much for being here, of course, sharing your sage advice. And uh, hold your calendars for October 25th through 28th. Uh, we're going to have an econom economist panel um, uh, at uh, Constellations event. So hold that date. <laughs> so we'll, we'll talk do. to you more. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Thanks, Bella. Thank you. Thank you for expanding my mind. Wow. I mean, in such great, simple terms, I now can go and sound like an informed dad in front of my kids telling me, what's this inflation thing we keep hearing about <laughs> and i have like oh i wish i spend more time studying economy econ well, you know you, you your kids and my kids are going to these like really top-notch schools so we're going to be really dumb very soon <laughs> my, my, my oldest is at bentley university one of the top business schools so she keeps asking me these questions and i'm like you know what uh i'm i'm, I'm tapping out uh okay <laughs> Now, now, our final guest, this is where we bring someone who, you know, hits a grand slam and, and just brings it all home. And it's absolutely our privilege to have Marsha Collier, top selling author, marketing maven, foremost e-commerce expert, a technology podcaster, keynote speaker, respected advisor. And in my opinion, and many others, one of the world's most influential and trusted voices on social media. When I want to learn about customer services, support, and customer experience, I just read Marsha's thread. I mean, an incredible uh, thought leader. Marsha is the author of the Ultimate Online Customer Service Guide and 50 books. Right? 50 books. I know. We're still behind. We're talking about like you and I just feeling so small right now. I remember 53 books with the three of us on the show. On best practices on eBay, Twitter, Facebook, social media. Her latest book was Android Smartphones for Seniors. It, it, with incredible success, it's just it's 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 a bestseller, you know. As a communicator, writer, Marsha works uh, with some of the most well-known, successful companies in the world. Since 2008, Marsha's technology podcast gets over 30,000 downloads per month, and is live on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I'm cutting your bio short, Marsha. Um, she's she's a founder of Customer Service uh, Chat every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard using hashtag Custerve. She's co-host of the weekly podcast, Computer and Technology Radio, with Mark Cohen and Marsha Collier, and can be heard weekly on the Tech Experts on the weekly iHeartRadio uh, Nordorama podcast with Mo Kelly and Toala. You can follow Marsha on to one of the best follows on Twitter at Marsha Collier, M-A-R. 
S-H-A-C-O-L-L-I-E-R. Vala, I love you. I love Last you. thing I want to say, Marsha sold over a million books in 2007. So Ray, just, just a ridiculously accomplished thought leader. Welcome, Marsha, to the Strong TV. Yeah, welcome, welcome. Thank you. And I love both of you, and we're both friends, and, and I'm you. lucky enough to have been able to sit down and talk to you personally, and I hope we can do it again. But I, I have so. to tell you, my entire career has been built on consumer versus enterprise. Yeah. When I read this book and I spoke to Vince Cerf about the new economy and it being people driven, it made me validate the work that I've done. Because when we can talk about all the great enterprise work that's being done and the developments in technology and the exponential growth. Where's the exponential growth in customer service? Are they matching that? Are they no, adding that step? Not at all. Or exactly, is it all AI and also the security people? Was there a big meeting at Apple where they said, hmm, I think AirTags, it's a great idea. I think this is going to boost our company from, from nowhere to somewhere because this is what we need to sell. Now, uh, I don't know about where you live, but AirTags, they're being used in women's purses. They're being slipped into their cars. People are tacking them to cars to track people. There are too many bad ways for this to happen. And then plus, Apple says, wait, we've got an app for Android. So they can wheedle their way into the Android ecosystem, pick up a whole lot more data. When, by the way, there is an app in the Play Store called AirGuard, which will protect an Android phone. So, you know, where did this all come from? And in the end, it's data. It's not doing something for the people. And in my career, I'm a believer in eating my own dog food. eBay for Dummies was written in 1998. And when you say small business owner, that's only because I keep selling on eBay, maybe on a small scale, but I test things out, different IDs. I know what's going on in the e-commerce venue. And I'm not one of the big speakers. I'm not loud and I'm not bursting onto the scene, selling courses and everything like that. Everything you want to learn if I've written a book about it, it's in there. And what blew me away with this book that you're showing on the screen is I got one review on Amazon that said, you didn't cover the blue phone, BLU. Now, gentlemen, how many of you know someone who would use a blue phone? But you see, that was representative to me that there's this whole world out there who doesn't care about air tags. And they don't care about a whole bunch of things that are going on. They want to know how technology is going to affect their lives. Yeah. And are that. Were they talking about a Nokia 3200? What, what was the blue phone? <laughs> blue I'm just phone to... it's, a, it's a company in, Cal, in, in the US. Oh, really? Okay. In China. I got nothing. Yeah. I, mean, I only got a three star interview uh, review because I didn't cover the blue phone. <laughs> I'm just trying to think. It was the year 2000, and I think Nokia launched their, you know, their famous blue phone. I think it was 3100, 3200. But yeah, and wow. the thing is, I hear from these people because I put my email in all of my books. Yeah, sure. So I know what the pulse and the thing on customer service as well. You are so active on social media. You you respond to everyone. You're fully engaged. Your podcast, 52 weeks, nine nine o'clock Eastern Standard every Tuesday. And it's amazing how much thought leadership content comes out of just the chat you have on a weekly basis. So you're out there, no question. No, but I study, and this yeah. is where it falls down. We know a lot of social media, excuse me, experts on social media who are changing from topic to, to oh yeah, well, NFTs are hot. Now I'm gonna be the <laughs> NFT expert. But going back to dog fooding, how many yeah. NFTs do they own? How many have they tried to buy? Have they compared? They haven't done their homework. It always surprises me when I see someone working for one phone company using a phone from another. How can you possibly understand your customer? That's amazing. That's amazing. It's true, isn't it? You've yeah, seen it. Is. it. I mean, it Val, you and I were there. Val, we saw it. 
It is. It's absolutely true. Well, we know, we know one of our yeah. friends has definitely created his own NFTs, Brian Fanzo. He's definitely doing that. So he's, he's the real deal. But hey, when we talk about disruption on a high level, right, um, how much consideration is given to the end user? Because that's who you represent, right? Considering the end user is, what, less technically inclined a lot? So. Well, it, that's like what I said. When it comes to customer service, the more high-level technology you're going to come up with that can help not only the individual but the small business and remember that small business is counted as businesses of 500 employees or less yeah. 500 employees to me is a pretty heady business <laughs> i mean i don't want five i never wanted when i had my business that many but the point is are you targeting your solutions to being understandable can someone go to your website and actually understand what the hell is going on? What is it that you do? I get emails all the time and I go to the website and I'm, really? But what is it you actually do? And what are you going to do for me? And is there a fact page on there? Is there a human being you can talk to? And I agree, AI is incredibly useful with chatbots. But when it comes to real problems and real issues like screen sharing, things like that, you need human beings and you need human beings that your customer can relate to. I want to know um, when you attend uh, events, um, I think the last time you and I saw each other in person, we were in a Samsung launch in New York City. And uh, first of all, you're treated like royalty. And obviously after 50 books and your social presence and everybody knows you. I mean, you know, of... Samsung didn't answer letter one when I wrote this book by Android. <laughs> no, I had questions no. about the new phones and I'm emailing literally you and I know about five or six people crickets. I never got an answer. So, hey, Samsung, guess what? It's not in the book. Okay. <laughs> but but my, 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 I guess my question to you is when you think about like, for example, consumer electronics show, first uh, part of the question is what, what, what did you see that was exciting and interesting? Um, um, certainly to traffic was light. Ray was there in person and we can understand why, but generally speaking, he wanted uh, to catch COVID. <laughs> Ray is the most adventurous person I know. <laughs> and then the second part of the question in terms of what excited you about CES 2022 was when you prepare to go to conferences where you're going to see lots of different consumer technology, how do you go about prioritizing your day? You know, how do you, you know, how do you, um, you know, uh, engage with vendors and, and knowing you're a prolific content creator, I'm sure there's a method in terms of how you attend these, these large You know, I events. avoid the big booths. Okay. okay. The cool. big booths are, you know, you can walk, you, you know what's going on in the big yeah. booth. They, they press release out the wazoo. I look for the smaller, the startups, the companies who are oh, doing terrific. things. For even, for example, BMW at CES, they came out with a color changing car, which is never going to happen in real life. <laughs> but what an incredible demonstration of e ink where the black was positively and the white was negatively charged. And by doing a magnetic switch in the car, they could change the color of the car. Now, what application that has to the future, and that's the thing about CES, who knows, but somebody did it. One of the problems though, is being a woman in technology. When I will be standing trying to talk to people and they talk over my shoulder to the next wow. person who's a man, this still happens. I've been going to see to you, the, the queen of technology. It happens to you. They, they don't care. I mean, you're kidding. I'm talking to the people about the oral B toothbrush, which I happen to think is a great piece of tech consumer technology yeah. and crickets. Okay. Here's my card. Send me more information. You know, maybe I'll demo it. I buy the product anyway, because I sure. think it's good. Sure. I never hear anything. And this happens continually. And I am convinced the only thing that can convince me is that I'm a woman. Because as you say, I'm out there and those who know, know who I am. You, uh, absolutely. I, I mean, you're consistently ranked when there's a listing of the most uh, influential digital marketer, digital transformation, technology. You're, you're usually one. <laughs> so, well, but the so, interesting thing is because I study. And yeah. Val, you do that too. And Ray, you do that too. Studying, reading, white papers, 
you know, putting your fake email address up there to download all the white papers. <laughs> that would never happen. Never. That would never happen. No. But no. the point is, I spend more time reading and studying during my days. I spend two hours the night before setting up tweets for the next day, and I read all those articles. And I don't, and I always look for positivity because in the world we live in right now, I don't think spreading negativity, whether it's in technology or enterprise or even bookkeeping is a positive force for small or medium businesses. I agree. I agree. You know, it, it, it's really time we made a switch and uh, to work in the positive because that's what the people centered economy is all about yeah. is respecting Absolutely. people more. Absolutely. Yeah, no, we're definitely seeing that. And I got a quick question for you. Were you at CES? I totally missed you there. Or did you like, no. like okay, from afar. Got it, got it. Well, yeah, I had the live streams. I had the information. Yeah, um, I had links to manufacturers, little yeah, demos and things like that. a really good job of a virtual CES. I mean, they did that yeah, last year. Which I didn't enjoy. Uh, so. I would much, can't wait, Ray, to see you next year. Because I'm going to be there, like I said. But the interesting thing is travel for technology has changed. I haven't heard a peep about, you know, Val, the kind of travel we used to do. Ray, you're always traveling because you you have your own company. But for the rest of us, uh, influencers or tech writers or things like that, it's no longer. I have not honestly gone on a tech thing even on my own dime yeah. since the pandemic started yeah. i haven't been invited there has been nothing going on yeah. which closes the ecosystem again sure and sure. closes it from the consumer sand because in the end your consumer becomes your small business your small business becomes medium business and those people become your enterprise it's a funnel of humans and you have to be able to reach them all well, this is a great point. I mean, talk about bringing tech to all and, you know, tech is usually kind of the domain of tech elites, right? Is this what's happening because of the pandemic? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, if you look at the discussions on Twitter and Ray, you and I are in some of the discussions and I don't, I don't respond because I, I, a lot of times I don't have an opinion that would weigh into the conversation. Mm -hmm. And I don't like to say things online unless they make sense. Sure. I can back them up. Sure. Um, you know, I'm just not a vapor expert. <laughs> and that's a good thing. <laughs> that's a, for all of, for all of uh, folks watching who aspire to be experts, please don't ever be a vapor expert. Absolutely. But how many are there? How yeah. many are yeah. there are preaching and proselytizing for all different sorts of tech that they've never tested? They don't know the difference between. I doubt they'd know the difference between an OLED screen and an LED screen. <laughs> yeah. And that, that's one of the things I said in my book to the people, even though the book is Android smartphones for seniors, it's really for everybody because let's face it, how many people can look at a phone and know what kind of screen it is? You're going to look at a phone and say, I really like this screen. It works for me. You got to go kick, kick the tires when it comes to consumer technology. You've got to go look at the stuff. You have to avoid the commissioned salespeople. <laughs> because yeah. you know, just yeah. like a car, the minute you hit the commission salesperson, you're toast. You are dead meat in the water. They've got you. Yeah. So you've got to go. You know, go to a Costco, go different places, kick the tires, look at the phones. Oh, and dare I say, if you have an iPhone, take a look at an Android. Hold them side by side. See what you can do. Talk to somebody who knows what each device, and vice versa. If you have an Android. Maybe an iPhone is better for you. There's no superior. And we won't even go into the class discussion about chat, iMessage, <laughs> RCS chat and iMessage. That's another thing. But what's best for you? I like to be able to adjust my devices. I don't like everything preset for me. So uh, speaking about preset, I got an update from Microsoft on my desktop. And it rebooted and all my files were gone. Oh, no. All my files were gone. And I'm 
opening Chrome and I'm open. I, I, my programs were still there, but all the files were gone and Chrome wanted me to sign in. And it said, we're sending something to your phone and nothing went to my phone. And I'm going, Oh my gosh, I've been hacked. So I go to my, and this is a Microsoft update that this happened last night before I was doing the Nerdorama podcast. So I'm, I'm poking on my phone, several of them, and finally managed a way to log into my Google account wow. and get a key that I could put on the computer. But then my files were still not coming back. So here is a suggestion to anybody who's in that problem. Shut, close all the windows, close all the programs, shut it down, let it breathe for two minutes then power it up fresh, not a restart, power it fresh. Son of a gun, everything came back. But I mean, I opened my documents file and this was on the computer that, that I had my finances and, and everything. And oh my so God. I immediately plugged in a one terabyte hard drive and start backing up before I shut it down. I didn't trust anything anymore. But again, this is a yeah. consumer thing. This is enterprise versus the consumer. Absolutely. How are they held to task if wow. somebody isn't as technologically savvy as me right. and can't fix this within 10 minutes or, okay, half hour? What, what do you, amazing. is this person going to go online with their phone and talk to a bot? <laughs> I knew to Google, by the way, I couldn't even find that update in the history of updates. Incredible. Until I redid, restarted the computer, then it showed up. So I didn't even Amazing. have the number to look up to see from bleeping computer or somebody what the issues were. This so is going to be part of your CustServe uh, topic, hopefully, uh, in upcoming weeks. Right. How large enterprise need to be, pay better attention but they to don't the user listen. experience. They don't listen. And, and, and I'm all for exponential growth. And I, I want businesses to do well and employ more people. But remember who pays your bills. And that's the customer. That's right. I mean, no offense. If you've ever worked with QuickBooks, you better know what you're doing. <laughs> you really better know what you're doing. Because it's, it's not simple. And getting help is not always easy unless you sure. know where to look. Sure. Well, this is awesome. Marsha, we could always talk for hours. Yeah. Um, when is your weekly podcast so that everybody knows? Well, technically I launch it. I record over the weekend and we launch it Monday morning now. And because that seems like a good time as any. Sure. And the Nerdorama podcast is basically from KFI 640 in Los Angeles, Mo, Kelly, and Tawala. And that is technically every Thursday night on iHeartRadio. Yeah, iHeart. Yep. Yeah, and I heart and uh, love doing those because I can talk about all that I've talked to you about. Sure. And uh, yeah, so last night, Microsoft got a word from me. <laughs> <laughs> We're here with the queen of tech, Marsha Collier. You can follow her on Twitter at Marsha Collier, C-O-L-L-I-E-R. Thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your Friday with us. You're one, Vala. We have to see each other. Ray, yes. we have to see each <laughs> yes. other. He's got to have a constellation thing we can meet at because this yes. is yes. fine, Ray. It, it's we time. all have KN95 masks. We're ready. There we go. For sure. For sure. Thank you so much. got a little toilet paper. <laughs> all right. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Marsha. Right, we will meet you. Cheers. Cheers. Oh, wow. Right. One hour. Yeah. So fast. <laughs> the fast yeah. 60 minutes on the internet. <laughs> From, it is, uh, Ray, I mean, listen, you, you, you learn about financial planning and analysis from two incredible CEOs and business executive presidents. And then, and then Paul just like simplifies macro, micro economics with demand and supply understanding that leads to inflation and trends. And just, you know, again, and I, I was literally, I could listen to Paul for an hour easily. We need to, we need to definitely have him back. And of course, Marsha is reminding us much like all the previous guests, that, you know, it's all about the people, whether you're a technology company an enterprise and consumer at the end of the day, the products and services that you deliver may not be as important as the experience that you deliver 
exactly. to the end user. And I think uh, a lot of surveys and research point that today the experience is how you get to keep um, uh, you know the trust and future business of your clients. So what a, what an amazing uh, speakers and guests. Your your closing remarks on on, on the show. No, um, we always have amazing guests, and you know we we've been able to weave different topics throughout. Uh, we're always looking for great guests, so very very thankful. Um, I've just come back from uh, Paris. I can talk more about international travel one of these days. Uh, it is quite an interesting approach. Uh, there's just a patchwork depending what country you're in. Uh, but what I really loved about our guests today was really the fact that I mean th these are things people can take with them. Very important very important lessons learned that they can use right away. So always like that. But we've got some amazing guests as well um, in our next episode. Episode, what, 264? 264 uh, next Friday. We have Peter Moore, Unity Senior Vice President and General Manager of Sports and Live Entertainment. We have Robin Murdoch, Global Software and Platform Lead at Accenture. And we have one of my favorite guests, John Reed, co-founder of Digenomica, who always comes with his brilliant lists and I can't wait to see his list for 2022 and beyond. So if it's Friday, it's Disrupt TV. Thank you, everyone, for watching. And we'll uh, see you next Friday. Take care. Bye, everyone.